I'll ask people for advice for the given belt levels. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a white belt, what's your advice? And then blue belt. Oh, cool. Okay. White belt. <clears throat> Survive, you know, and um, thrive in the understanding that the most important thing right now at your level is to understand that there's no instant gratification in the world. And if you can only learn this gift, you can stop your jiu-jitsu career right now and it'll already be worth it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. As usual, I'm Matt Browse, the host of this show and the guy behind the camera at Pohada Photography. This is a show where I talk jiu-jitsu with jiu-jitsu people and convince black belts to tell their story and give us advice. Before we jump in, I've started asking the guests to give me a non-profit to shout out at the beginning of the show, and this time around he said, pick an animal rescue. This happens to be a pet interest of mine, so I'm going to start with secondhand hounds. Thankfully in Minnesota, we have a strong network of quality animal rescue organizations, and they are definitely one of them. They're where I adopted my second husky many years ago, and as I record this, they have a long-held special needs bulldog named Nina looking for a home. And recently, they posted a cute little pit bull with swimmer's syndrome that's looking for a special owner as well. With that out of the way, this time around, I sat down with Mario Roberto after his seminar at the new location of the Burnsville Martial Arts Academy. Gus Kratzky, one of the gym owners, was gracious enough to join us on the mics. Mario is straight out of Rio, a six-stripe black belt, and owns Mario Roberto Jiu-Jitsu Academy down in Rochester, Minnesota. And without further ado, Mario Roberto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clay made him. Is that uh, your black belt, Gus? No. I don't have a black belt. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just rubbing it in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I just noticed it. Right. Seventh is coral, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I got six years to go. I got to enjoy six more years only. Sad. This is year 25 for you now, isn't it? Because you tested in 98, right? 98. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> don't do the math. Did you say you have six years to coral belt? Uh-huh. I'm 45. What? <laughs> so it'll be um <clears throat> so i got in july 14 1998 so yep it's getting up there what's the what's the the requirements for coral like the years and all that oh man you're asking the wrong guy yeah you just I know just, it's coming i just wear the i just know that my teacher wore me that is it's you know i well i obviously got the the sixth one and when he was last year yeah and uh then it's seven years to the, i know the last one is seven years okay. so it's going to be july 14 right now it's going to be six years to go and scary you know and you got to have a certain age so you got to be 50 years old you cannot get it before okay 50 so so you can't get a black belt before 18 yes same kind of idea like you yeah. might be there but you also need to meet the age correct there's an age requirement there and it's all ibjjf so i'm not is that you based know, off the assumption that you got your black belt at 18? That's why, like, you know, the math? Uh, no, because I did not get mine at 18. I got oh. mine at 19. Um, it's, you just got to be 50. Okay. Just, I don't know where they came up with magic number, but it's about that. You know, it, yeah. you, you would have to get your black belt pretty early to qualify for it at age 50. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be 51. So. Okay. Yeah, even if I get into jujitsu earlier, I won't live long enough. 
It's crazy because it's quite a <laughs> like, lot of, you know, and that's that's part of the, actually, there's it's a very interesting discussion on this now because my teacher is a coral belt and he's been coral for a while. And there's a lot of guys that they're complaining at that level. They're like, man, you got to promote people a little faster because a lot of people are dying before they get the recognition they deserve. Even a lot of the pioneers of jiu-jitsu people that were you know, one or one generation above his, even they're like, okay, we're not living enough to see those, but it is what it is. I, I honestly, I couldn't care less. You know, yeah. I, there was one point in time where I swore I would never wear a coral belt if I ever lived that long. Nowadays, I'm probably would for, you know, marketing reasons. Otherwise, you know, yeah, my, yeah. my business people would, would hate me for it. But uh, besides that, I really don't care. The, the belt that I like, I like the most doesn't even have the degrees on it. It's yeah, just yeah. after you make it to black belt, even before you make it to black belt, but especially after black belt, it's time-based. So right. you shouldn't be feeling too good about getting older. Yeah, know? I was somebody, uh, Jeremy Clark, a top team, just got his, his first stripe the other day on his black belt. Mm-hmm. And I was so I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I mean, it's a recognition that you're still involved and still training, coaching, giving still back, still alive. But yeah. also, you're kind of just ticking years, like you're every three years, mm-hmm. and then every five or whatever. You're just counting down the clock to death. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> in you know, a weird hard, way. <laughs> the hard part really is to be, I think, you know, and I'm very blessed that I'm still involved, actively involved, and mm-hmm. I I don't think I would want to do jujitsu if I wasn't able to roll. Or spar competitively, so I still like to do that. There will come a time, everybody's, you know, clock is ticking. There will come a time where yeah. where I won't be able to do that. I don't even know if I want to do jujitsu at that point because that's for me the essence of it. I don't understand. I I, I could not see myself teaching from a a corner chair, and it's just not 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 that there's necessarily anything wrong with it. It's just not my style. It would frustrate. Right. Me more than anything else. When I have to take sick days off, it pisses me off. The other day we had a snow day. I had to take the snow day off. I couldn't sleep at night, like because you know I, I should be working. Next morning, everybody's taking the snow day off. I said, "No, we're open because I cannot do two in a row. I want to yeah. sleep t- tonight." <laughs> if, <laughs> if you su- seek jujitsu for your sanity, you can't take a day off. Right? No, yeah. no, it's like it's it's really your life. I mean, on my days off from teaching, I go to the gym to hang out with my friends. You know, it's a blessing, but it is what it is. You make your best friends in jiu-jitsu, you know, jiu-jitsu military, things that have uh, going through that struggle on a daily basis with somebody you build the best bonds, you know. You can speak for me and Gus here, you know, so that's how it goes. So you said uh, black belt in 98. Mm-hmm. When did you start training? So I start counting it in 89 because is when I start getting like relatively serious i was uh, so i was born in 78 uh which most people are surprised uh and uh yeah 89 11 is when i start counting and i did not start with my teacher i'm obviously i'm, I'm from rio and uh and uh, i started with with a, a teacher called pedro carvalho you know, who is in uh if we want to Americanize Pedro Carvalho, who's thank you, who ended up going to <laughs> we ended up going to Rancho Cucamonga, and he went to California. And once he left uh, to the U.S. to teach to, to pursue a professional career, he wasn't even a black belt when he was teaching me. He was a brown belt, which was rare at the time. And um, a brown belt was rare, or a brown belt a, a brown belt teaching, belt teaching was rare. Okay. Was rare. Yep. And it was really you know because in Brazil there's no shortage 
Sure. Uh, even sure. back then, there wasn't necessarily a shortage of black belts. There, there are black belts. So for him to have a school was something not 100% abnormal, but not the average either. You know, there were quite a few people that did that. Never heard of a purple belt teaching in Brazil, like back in the day. But anyways, I, I started training with him in Baja, um, the same area of town where Baja Gracie is, Gracie Baja is. And, um, and then when he moved to the U.S., I switched to my current teacher, uh, Anibal Braga. Hannibal is, I guess that's the way we would Americanize it. Thank you. And I've been with him since. <laughs> so that's basically it. That is not it. That's like 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad, man. That's... I don't even keep track of how many years it is. It's quite a lot. <laughs> and it was, I was fortunate, very fortunate to live. <clears throat> well, first of all, to be born in, in Rio, if you're a jiu-jitsu guy, that's mm. where you want to be in. For sure. And um, second, to be born in the era that I was born and start jiu-jitsu in the era that, that I was born because jiu-jitsu was not popular when I started. It wasn't popular at all. In fact, it, to the contrary, well, when you start, when I started, judo was, was by far and large <clears throat> the number one martial art to be pursued in Brazil. And we always, Brazil always has had a very strong judo team, very strong judo presence in the Olympics. And judo has always been considered a martial art that would teach and educate kids. And that was always very important. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, at the time when I started, um, it was considered almost like the, the you know, the dark, the black sheep of the, yeah. of the martial arts. Uh, it was considered something for people that like to fight. Um, and it was not necessarily the thing that you would decide to put your kid into as a general rule. And that, of course, it's, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. And, and sure. with time that passed and, and things changed and, and the perception of jiu-jitsu improved in, in Brazil. But we went through a couple of years that were rough, especially the nineties in Rio where jiu-jitsu was basically equalized with, and we can talk about that. I mean, there, again, I had, yeah, there's quite free, a lot Free platform, there. brother. Go ahead. So, uh, okay, well, you know, a short story uh, of jiu-jitsu as I, as I lived it. So it started in 89. I actually started judo prior to that. I was very fortunate in that. Went to a private academies in Brazil, so private schooling. And in Brazil, when you go to private school, phys ed is, at least in mine, it was uh, something that you could pick a sport. And I was a very nerdy kid. I... Sucked that's it. awesome yeah it you is get to pick your curriculum essentially like yes. here's my focus uh mm -hmm. so what they did is that you had to rotate for i don't know let's say a year you know you had to rotate six months into the major sports and you had had to practice uh and learn basic rules of soccer handball believe it or not handball <laughs> basketball um uh, what was it what else there are, there are a couple in judo swimming and judo was one of them and uh, you had basically, uh, you know, some athleticism. It wasn't really like sprinting or anything, but not track in an organized way, but some sort of that. And uh, I, I hated group sports. Like I was a very nerdy kid and, and you know, I'm still a little bit antisocial, anti but it was even worse back then. And I was a kid that, you know, wasn't, didn't excel at anything that they tried. And in Brazil for you not to be, good at soccer it's a major issue <laughs> and i was it wasn't that i wasn't good at soccer i was horrible at soccer i was you know if i i was only picked last because there was no other way you know i would leave myself on the bench if i could but 
I had to do something, so I decided to take judo. And again, by a crazy twist of fate, the guy that was teaching judo, phys ed judo class at this school, which was called uh, Colegio Anglo-Americano, so the Anglo-American school, was a guy that ended up being one of the biggest names in Brazilian judo, a coach called Geraldo Bernardes, who ended up being the coach for the Olympic Brazilian team. And I got to train and learn judo from this guy as a kid. I was like probably six years old or something. And I did a judo for a bit, stopped altogether when, I don't know why, but they stopped offering that. And then I ran into jiu-jitsu. Why I started jiu-jitsu? Long story short, I was getting a little chubby. And my father said, well, we're going to put you in something. And he signed me up for extra soccer classes after class. And dude, the last thing I wanted to be yeah. is in a field full of murders. And everybody played such good soccer because the kids that were doing after-school soccer were the guys that had some crazy talent. And in Brazil, crazy soccer talent is something else. It's something to watch. And you get all those virtuoso kids. And here is, you know, 10 or 11-year-old me completely sucking at it. <laughs> so I figure, I'll, you know, tell you what, I'll do anything else. And the goal was really you got to do something. You can't be fat. You can't be overweight. And I was like, okay, well, I found this, heard of this jujitsu thing. I had no idea what it was. Hmm. But I figured out anything is better than this situation. So I walked into the gym, took my first intro class. I remember somehow, some way, I remember what I was taught. It was a sotogari. And uh, I learned a sotogari and they put me to spar. First day, sparred in a yellow belt. And I beat him with a sotogari, two to nothing. Which, you know, after that created a hiatus of about 20 years where I could take anybody down. <laughs> so I took one my first match and uh, in sparring, I was like, okay, maybe I can do this thing. I can channel some of my frustrations into this. Signed up and never looked back. You know, So I've been doing it since. What, what do you suppose is the genesis of the, at the time, negative opinion of jiu-jitsu? Relative to judo, even. Yeah, so the story of, of jiu-jitsu in, in Brazil, it's fascinating, you know, because you got a lot of different schools. Of, you know, the story that's told here in the U.S. is, is incomplete, to put it in a kind way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys are ever interested in, in learning more about the story of jiu-jitsu, I highly, highly recommend uh, a trilogy of books. It's called Shocky, Shock. And there's a version in Portuguese and there's a version in English. And this guy just goes through the whole history from the 1900s. And this is pre, pre-Mitsuya Maeda, so pre-Count Coma. In Brazil, there was already a strong Japanese presence, right? So we have a strong Japanese colony. So jiu-jitsu was there prior to Maeda coming to Brazil to teach jiu-jitsu. And there is proof to, of this by newspaper clippings of the time. And this guy did amazing, brilliant research, academic-level research. And uh, when you got into the 90s, there was a period of time where jiu-jitsu was really an elite uh, uh, in the 60s and 70s, very elite sport. Only the highest strata of, of the socioeconomic pyramid could afford to do jiu-jitsu in a Gracie school. Gracie school is usually private classes, very well organized, amazing. Gracie's cannot speak highly enough. We, I wouldn't be here doing what, I, what I'm doing if it wasn't for them. And... This caused a, a, the development of jiu-jitsu, especially in the, in, in the south zone of Brazil. And south zone of Rio, sorry. At that point, we, in, when I got, got into that picture in the late, 80, late 80s, early 90s, we have 
a couple of issues. One was the issue of people learning jujitsu and just misbehaving in nightclubs and such. And we had the, the, this period that was so bad that jujitsu practitioners were labeled pit boys, a mix of playboy and pit bull. <laughs> and I'm talking, this is a term that everybody knew. Mm. It, the, they would run like, you would open a, a newspaper or a magazine. There would be articles and how jujitsu, you know, practitioners or villains are just going out to pick fights in, you know, I, there's some truth to it. You're, you're, you can imagine right now, everybody knows what jujitsu is, but put yourself in a, in a place of a young, full of testosterone, 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old kid going out in nightclubs in Rio, which is already, a, you know, the, the, the social interactions are a little rougher and there's more posturing and there's more violence overall. And you're given this ultimate, ultimate superpower. There's nothing like it. You know this thing that nobody knows. There's no Hoist Gracie. At the, you know, there was mm -hmm. no UFC at the time. So nobody knows what jiu-jitsu is. Only those on the inside. But those on the inside know what an overwhelming capability it has to neutralize any opposition if things escalate to a fight. What would happen is, of course, immature kids escalated into fighting a little bit more often than they probably should. And jiu-jitsu got a bad rap. And you had that and again it's so hard to structure it in in a linear fashion but at the same time you have an extra problem which is the luta livre problem and so at the same time you have this other faction this other martial arts style which was luta livre and highly respected uh very well developed as if you, i'm sure both of you guys are familiar with it it looks a lot like submission wrestling but it was done mainly not in the south zone of Rio, where you see, or west zone of Rio, Baja, those areas are more like, again, everything in Rio, when you, you got to think about the socioeconomic differences. So Luta Livre was more for the poor population of Rio, was usually, not more for them. It was the way it was. The clubs were usually cheaper to, to attend, and jiu-jitsu classes were pretty elite, elitist. So you have that attrition that's already natural, where you got people with more money, people with less money meeting at nightclubs and then you have okay they practice this martial art i practice my martial art one thing i think i'm better they think they're better and man it boils a lot of control i mean the only way i can i can come to compare because nothing like this would ever happen in in in, in the u.s i cannot believe that i actually lived through it but it's like a ninja clan war in an urban environment with no guns no swords Take away swords, shuriken, take away the little stars. <laughs> you know, let's say you're a jiu-jitsu guy. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy. And we're both 16. And we're at a club. You have a jiu-jitsu shirt. I don't know you. You train here. You know, I train two hours away in a different school. I have no idea who you are. But you are at a club there. And all of a sudden, some Luta Livre guys see your jiu-jitsu shirt. And he goes, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Well, sorry, can I curse there? Fuck yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so what the hell are you doing here, you know? Like... Hey man, give me that shirt right now. You know, I take that shirt and you go, well, you know, come take it. There's three of them. They start hitting and striking you and there's not much you can do against three guys. I see that. If I identified at the time that you're a jiu-jitsu guy, I'm jumping in. Like, and that's just the way it was, you know, which is hard even for people now that live 
the reality of jujitsu in Brazil, in Rio today, this is so foreign because it, now in, it could not happen for a couple of reasons. First, the jujitsu, thank God, it's so much more organized as, as a sport. And we understand Luther Livre guys, man, they're awesome. They're trying to pursue their dreams. They're trying to, you know, learn their art form. I'm all for it. But second, the presence of guns changed everything completely. You could not do that stuff. Nowadays in Brazil, you would, somebody will pull a gun, somebody will pull a knife. Back in the old days, you still had, maybe you had a knife here and there, but it was mainly fist fights. And you would get, there are a couple of um, occasions there where you had like a dozen guys on each side and parties would be closed. So this this ended up, combined that, the Luta Livre versus Jiu-Jitsu, like whatever you want to call clan war, with the, with the guys, the Jiu-Jitsu guys beating on people that had no idea what they were doing, you ended up with this reputation of, terrible extremist for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners. How bad was it? Well, you had Califlar year. They would bar you from some nightclubs. Like, they would be looking at you and it'd be like, hey, man, not you. You know, we're trying to keep things here peaceful. So it's really bizarre environment, you know, to say the least. But that, that was the, you know, early 90s. And that's where most legendary things happened there. You know, the Carson Gracie team, uh, uh, Baja Gracie, Gracie Baja, no, yeah, uh, was born and everything was coming up and really strong teams. It was awesome. You know, it's a great way. I, I did not belong to any major team, so I was looking at all of this from an outsider, smaller gym perspective, but it was awesome. You know, great time. How many fights you pick? Not many. I wasn't, I wasn't that type. Um, <clears throat> To be honest, you know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to my fiance about this. You know, once you... It's interesting because it's, it's one of the biggest, I think, male fantasies to be somewhat proficient at violence, you know, and a lot of guys try to pursue that bravado and, and you know, you don't know me, man. You don't, you don't, you don't know who I am. You know, you cross me, you know, like, man, I see red, it's something else. The Actually, the, the more involved you get, and I can, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, how jiu-jitsu training changed and it become, became less violent, but the more involved with it and, and the more proficient you actually are, edit the last you're trying to pursue it elsewhere because it just means nothing you know i wasn't a troublemaker to begin i was never that guy you know <clears throat> i stopped drinking because of it stopped drinking because i had one blackout episode when i was like 14 and uh as you can tell underage drinking somewhat common also in that society and mm -hmm. i never you know i didn't touch the stuff to that level ever again because I didn't want to be that guy, you know, the guy that was picking fights just because you can. Again, jiu-jitsu at that time, a superpower. Nobody knew. Just imagine nobody didn't even know what a triangle was, you know, and you're a triangle guy. Let, let alone how to defend it. It's whatever. a beautiful yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, part of it, I, I can't help but have some nostalgia, you know. Yeah. It's like you're walking around, you're giving the best blow your mind matrix pill, you know, mm -hmm. and you're you're operating on a different you know, stratosphere there. You, you can handle anything that comes your way short of a knife or a gun. <clears throat> and yeah, but you know, I, just, I guess that's basically that story there. You said uh, jujitsu by and large now is less violent. Do you mean like the actual training of jujitsu, the philosophy of how people go about practicing jujitsu? Both. I think um, somewhere along the way, um, you know, we have a couple of things happening. So we, first of all, jujitsu, 
when I started jujitsu, it was very rare that you were a professional jujitsu teacher. What I do today, what I'm blessed to do today, was is, is a very rare thing. My teacher, <clears throat> both of them had day jobs, so you would teach teach jujitsu as a side gig, which allowed jujitsu to be way less commercial. So when you're doing it as a side gig, you want to do it your way, the way you see fit, the way you see right, and it is not necessarily for the masses. Nowadays, we see it's very common, which jujitsu is for everyone, right? I, I love the idea. Being good at jujitsu isn't, though. Being good at jujitsu is not for everyone. It's for those that are willing to sacrifice and have a natural talent and want to do what it takes to get there. It's not for everyone. I, I'm so happy it's not for everyone because then having those belts on the wall would not mean a thing, you know, to anybody. So we got to have them um, 100%, you know, medals for the winners. You know, I'm not a participation trophy type of guy, if you can tell already. So back in the day, belts were different. Belts took forever, man. You would see some guys there wearing blue belts that were white. You know, like, how long have you been in jiu-jitsu for? I've been in jiu-jitsu for six years. You've been six years and you can't make it past blue belt. Not even close. You know, you would see some guys that are purple belts that that been doing it for 10 years. I'm a purple belt. You know, okay, that's cool. In my book, I always thought that was amazing. That's one of the things that differentiate us from other martial arts that reward everyone regardless of effort. <clears throat> and the other thing that we had was that since it wasn't for the masses and since you did not rely on a certain number of students to put bread on your table, you, the political correctness, the you know, let's make it fit everybody. The even, you know, to an extent, the fear of liability and injury prevention of a student basis did not exist, which allow us to do things that today we cannot, and some of them we should not do. You know, as an example, when I started jiu-jitsu with, with Pedro, uh, Pedro Cavalio, okay, I'm getting pretty good at Americanizing them. Uh, so when I started with, with Pedro, uh, every Friday, I started first at a kid cl kid's class, and then he moved somewhere else. He moved to a place called Gavia, an area of Rio. And uh, he decided that, okay, you're going to be in the adult class, which for me, I was at the time probably about 12, and pretty scary thing. The next youngest guy was like 16, and I was a very late bloomer, so I was a kid, a, a young kid physically. And... And every Friday, there would be what we, there would be what we call taparia, which is open hand slap night. <laughs> and open hand slap night consisted of the following: they would pair up me a yellow belt. Okay, your yellow belt. So Mario, you know jujitsu. Okay, so this guy here, Matt, just joined. You just joined. Okay, you're a little heavier than twelve year old me, but here's the deal. So Pedro would be. I'm doing Pedro. Okay, Matt, you're gonna go against Mario. Okay. He's a yellow belt in jiu-jitsu, so Mario, you're only going to use jiu-jitsu. You cannot strike him. Only jiu-jitsu. It's going to start standing. Take him down. Finish the fight. And Matt, you're going to use open hands, okay? But you can kick him if you want to. Open hands only. Now, Matt, if I feel like you're taking it easy on him, you're going to go against me. Okay? So... Mouthpiece on, go. Dude, to say I was terrified of it, 
it is a severe understatement. This is hypothetical, and I'm nervous. We're not even going to do this. Well, first day, what do you think happened? You know, here I go. I charge in. You know, just like, boom. I actually managed to get him around his waist, take him down. You know, I guess I exaggerated about a 20-year hiatus before I took the second person down. (laughs) So I take him down. I get on a mount, and I said, all I hear is like, I'm, I'm out of it. I'm operating on instinct alone, and I just stop, stop, stop. I I clearly remember those things, which is amazing, you know, because I cannot remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. But anyways, I I hear stop, and I get I I look up to see Pedro, and I just feel this warmth coming down, without me even noticing. He hit me with a good one on the way in, and my nose is all busted up. There's blood squirting all over, and he goes, "Good job, good job. Get in there, sit, sit, sit out." And dude, and so it went. Second week, I am nervous. After I got home, waiting for the next Friday, you know, I'm like dreading this thing. I'm like, I'm not have no qualms saying I was scared shitless. Next Friday comes, I'm not a quitter though. So I show up, I go in there, walking like a man, walking towards this executioner. I go in there and I get my ass beaten. Every Monday I'm showing up in class with busted lips. You know, I'm 12, you know, if it was today, I don't need to tell you how impossible that would be <laughs> yeah. to do it, no matter how good of a liability <laughs> waiver you have. So eventually, though, what happens is that y- you get accustomed to the violence. And and after a month, I was like, okay, it's Friday. After two months, man, Friday's coming. I'm, I'm kind of pumped. After three months, I'm like, dude, I can't wait until Friday. So I can lay hands on somebody and I can, you know, he can try to smack me around. I'm going to take him down. I'll choke him. And that was the philosophy of jiu-jitsu. That's what jiu-jitsu is all about, right? It's a fighting system. It's about fighting. One of the guys can tell me, I got a, a lot of inc- politically incorrect opinions. Or One of them is that I hate the people that refer to jiu-jitsu as a jiu-jitsu fight. Well, I went into a tournament. I had a jiu-jitsu fight. No, you didn't have a jiu-jitsu fight. You had a jiu-jitsu match. You know, like you have a fight when somebody's trying to strike at you. Then I qualify as a fight. Until then... Having a jiu-jitsu match, you know, and back then it was about fighting. It wasn't about sport. Sport was, you rarely had any competitions when I started, rarely, you know, it was like, this is in Rio. If you had like, uh, you know, in Rio, maybe four or five, a year would be a good year. You know, there was another circuit in the city of Niteroi. They had something organized in in another city nearby that was pretty regular, but I, you know, the first national tournament was in 93. I was doing jiu-jitsu already for a while. And uh, the first Worlds was, what, 96 or something? So it took a while to get it organized. You know? Did you do a lot of competitions then, early years uh, in particular? Earlier on, yes. I competed quite a lot. Uh, I competed a lot in the, in the uh, uh, not just F, uh, what we call FJJ, which is the Federation of the State of Rio which is the first federation before CBJJ or the IBJJF now. <clears throat> and then I competed quite a lot in Niteroi, which had its own league, which was a cool league, actually. Very, you know, people don't give it enough credit because the guys in Rio are like, oh, my God, you know, I'm not going to go all the way there. But they had, they had an organized circuit at the time where you get ranked throughout the year mm-hmm. when a series of competitions. It was awesome. Like at the end of the year, they had a ranking point system they give you a certificate which they were better organized than 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 real even you know because there was a lot of infighting in real when it comes to was leadership it just like considered slumming with a you know snubbing their nose at it or what yeah it was definitely yeah. again you get a lot of the social economic yeah. 
like dysfunction. Rio is a very dysfunctional place um, when it comes to that tension because you got the, you know, the very rich people living in the valley and you got the very poor people living in the slums on the hills and you have a difference of two blocks until those neighborhoods and there's constant clashing of the worlds for better or worse that brings a lot of things good things and it brings a lot of bad things but it's definitely different so just the fact that the people organizing that other league mm -hmm. were from over there mm -hmm. we, yep we disregard everybody i was telling in the seminar the tale of you know leg locks were considered a lower class tool, a cheap way of winning, and you were booed, and you were called a suburban, which means you're a friend of suburbs, and, and suburbano is the Portuguese word, and you would call suburbano because those guys from the suburbs were were from a different school. They weren't really from the Gracie lineage. They, a lot of them were from the Fada lineage, which is another lineage that people know very little about. And they favored leg locks, but they, you know, so the what the guys from you know, the South Zone looked down upon it. It was like frowned upon it as, oh, that's a cheap way. And it's linked to that strata of society because it's not from the nice, rich area. It's like crazy how things go, you know. Yeah. But, I, I would assume a second layer to that develops where it becomes an issue of they can't do them. So they snub their nose at For it. sure. Like initially it's just ads that other, those other group over there that does it. But then eventually... For sure. We can't do it. So now we definitely disregard it. We, and, and it causes a, a, a problematic issue, which is the issue that we see today with leg locks in jiu-jitsu, where there's so many rules to it. Why are there so many rules? You know, I understand if you're telling me that you cannot do what we used to call, we used to have this thing called cervical lock. Chave cervical. It's a key lock. That you, hold, you twist the spine. Okay, I kind of get that. Okay, in my day, you could do whatever, like... You know, like, but I get limiting something like that. But you're limiting a submission on the ankle or you're putting, okay, if you put the leg this way, it's reaping. If you don't put the leg that way, okay, we're taking the whole, the whole idea of jujitsu, I thought it was about having an open-ended discussion where we could throw everything on the mats and see what comes out of it, what floats evolution wise if it doesn't work we abandon it if it does work we adopt it and we raise the flag for it when we start putting rules that are meant to limit things we are interfering with that natural evolution so to speak of 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 the combat sport if you want to call it a combat sport and we are kind of narrowing it the field and we're putting blinders on on ourselves about the existence of techniques that might work, but oh no, they're outside our realm. They're, you know, they're too dangerous. Are you kidding me? Too dangerous, man? It's like two people trying to submit each other. There's nothing, you know, there's a lot of danger. And I think everybody that's an adult and competes understand that part. You know, we can't, we, we, we cannot, we try to put as much, and I'm 100% for putting as much safety precautions as possible, but there is a limit to when safety precautions take away the nature of what the activity that we're doing you know oh yeah you can you can jet ski bro but we're we're not gonna be able to do it in the water <laughs> or no wakes okay then it's really not jet skiing it's cruising you know yeah, you're floating you floating with a motor exactly mm -hmm. so how much of this are we doing right now we yeah. you saw it in judo we're not alone you know, the Japanese did not like people grabbing below the belt. You know? gonna, that's what I was going to bring up. Mm -hmm. is like you can't even touch a leg to throw a guy in judo. Well, like, 
when you want to do whatever you can do to throw a guy. I mean, if we're mimicking violence, I'm going to do whatever I got to do. 100%. So I think we're, that's one of the fallacies that we're, we're incurring right now. And God knows where that's going to lead us, you know, hopefully not somewhere bad. I hope it doesn't change into, you know, name your sport that, that got over controlled by rules and that lost is it's efficacy, you know, Taekwondo maybe. I was going to say, isn't that kind of what kind of happened here in the United States with like karate and Taekwondo in like the seventies, eighties and Mm nineties, where it was like, if you talk to some of these old school people, they're like, yeah, we trained hard. We would beat the crap out Mm -hmm. of each other. And now it's like, no, it's a business. You got to take away this, no headshots, no face contact, no, no going below the belt, kicking, you know, and stuff like that. So it's just kind of like almost cornered itself into this, it only works in a certain rule context and certain situation as opposed to like what you said. Yeah. What is the point of what we're trying to do here is, you know, find how, open-ended. How far away is your branded karate school, almost said the name, branded karate school away from Kyokushin Kai, Kyokushin Karate. How yeah. far away are they? And you're going to go, they're not even the same universe. Okay, here's my fear. How far away are we going to be whatever product is labeled as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is like say or was five years ago 20 years from now maybe we're going to be doing something that doesn't even look like this because it's so limited by rules and so limited by what is again politically correct participation attitude you know nowadays you see people getting ranked up a lot faster everybody can be a, a, a a black belt is a white belt who has not quit okay but we're missing something in that sentence right is a white belt that did not quit put up countless hours had natural talent most likely you know sacrifice a lot of things in their lives or we're forgetting it can't be everybody's a black belt man we can't have that can't have everybody as a physician can't have everybody is isn't i want to play in the nba i would love to play in in the (laughs) nba It'll never happen for me. I can dedicate my life. I can forget about jiu-jitsu. If I had dedicated my life from the point I started jiu-jitsu, let's say I tripled the amount of work that I put instead of a jiu-jitsu basketball, I still would never have played at the end in the NBA. It's just not meant for me. I'm not built for it. So there is such a thing as you know, <clears throat> keeping reality checks in there. I think it's important. Well, you can't. So you can't get. Uh, it can't devolve from a, a black belt as a white belt who kept showing up it can't devolve down to a black belt is a white belt who kept paying for his gym membership exactly yeah. and this is it's a bit of a jump there but right well not it, is it, sell, is sells it, the point though is it a big of a jump or you know we have like black belt uh, you know uh, uh contracts in a lot of karate gyms that was my first school three-year contract we'll get you to black belt by the end exactly and i was like 10 i was like that's Okay, like and, and, and right now... <laughs> you, can't, what, you can't drive a car, but you're a black belt. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. What, what, do we, what we are observing right now, here's another phenomenon that's just like it. It's the six-minute abs phenomenon, okay? So you come to my, my gym, <clears throat> and you want to be a black belt. Your dream is to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and you start training at my gym, and you notice that the average jiu-jitsu black belt at my gym has over 10 years of training. And that's a tough thing to to be okay with. And then you look at the gym next door and in the gym next door, they say, you know, our average training here is, takes eight years. 
Okay. Then the gym, third gym opens up and they go, okay, man, you know what I'm going to do? Ours is going to be six years, six minute abs. It's great until somebody comes with a four minute abs. Pretty soon it's three minute abs, two minute abs, better product, right? Who doesn't want to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu? I want to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've always wanted that, you know, but different reasons, all right? I want it to be a real black belt. I want to be able to do the things that a black belt that I saw who was people that were dedicating their lives to it do. Right now, it's starting pretty soon. Everybody can get a black belt. Four years is not enough. I don't care how good and talented you are, man. Like, it's just not enough. Even from a maturity level, it's not enough. So where does it end? How about three years? Yeah, I'm coming up on four years of doing jujitsu. And that's a laughable, a laughable thought. Yeah. It's complicated, right? Jiu-jitsu, it's... it's just, just the idea that four years from now, I would be considered a black belt is laughable, let alone Here, that, well, that people would, would have an expectation of yeah. four and five years. That's wild. Well, I can tell you as someone who has spent a lot of time caring about those things, you know, what is my rank? Where am I? And where does it matter? And it's, you know, cause like when I started with Mario, I had already been doing judo for a little while. And I think it took me about, about a year, maybe mm -hmm. or so to go from white to blue. But what people don't realize is like, I was training six days a week, yeah. two times a day, every day for every, with nonstop. And on the weekends I'd go home and still train you know, like, so, you know, that happened, but then it's like, you know, when that consistency and that level of intensity had to change because of other circumstances, you know, I was like, well, I was a blue belt for four and a half years. I was a purple belt for four years. I've been a brown belt for over three years. And it's like, I eventually got to a point where I was like, it doesn't matter what color it is. Once I get black belt, that's it. So mm -hmm. enjoy the ride while I can and just take pride in being the best at my level when the coaches are ready and say so that time will come. But you can't just worry about that. You got to trust your coach. And and I think, you know, you're being from a tradition of your Greg, there's a great work there because you, he doesn't hand out belts, exactly. which, is, which increases the value. And mm -hmm. I think that's where we're going to end up is there's going to be, okay, you're a black belt under who, you know, yeah. Greg Nelson, black belt. Oh my God. You know, but if you, it's going to be like that. It'll mm -hmm. be different levels depending how serious the teacher is about the promotion. What people unfortunately don't understand is that it's very short-sighted to try to make black belt faster. Because when I'm in my school, if I start going into that competition, well, I'm going to pop a bunch of black belts out so I can compete with your school. You're diminishing the overall quality of the product. Eventually, it's going to bite us in the butt. Jiu-Jitsu is so popular right now because it's different. What will become of it when it's the same? What will become of it when anywhere you, you, you because you produce so many black belts that are don't have really good quality, everybody's going to open a gym next to you. And some of them are going to have terrible instruction. So what do you do then? I don't know. And uh, on a good note, so you feel better about it, you know, nobody, at least once you do it, I've, I don't think I've ever heard um, of anybody that made it to black belt in any decent, halfway decent school care about it. You know, at that point, uh, and I can say it from many years, is that all it is you going through jujitsu to a higher level is that you're carrying a flashlight. And the longer you do jujitsu, the bigger the flashlight is. You're in a dark room. As a white belt, you got this little pen light. 
in your universe, the scope of your universe, your field of view is pretty small because that light can only get so far. As you get a black belt, I hope you get a big ass like, you know, headlamp that can reach far, but you only really expand the limits of your ignorance. That's all it is. You get, you know, more aware of how little you know. And this goes for anybody, I think. Or at least it goes for me. Maybe I was just too dumb for this thing. So, Well, I think, what is it? It's like unconscious un incompetence, like conscious competence is like, and there's like that spectrum of like, you don't know what you don't know and you just yeah. don't know anything. Or you know some things and you mm -hmm. realize like, or you start to know a few things and you realize like, I still don't know anything. Or you get to a point where you're like, I, you actually do know a lot. And now it's like, I have so much more to learn. Yeah. You it's know? a never ending process. And that's why it's so fascinating. I, and I, I really enjoy doing it because it'd be so boring, man, doing the same thing over and over again. I don't, you know, I don't know how you could do it. So if there, if we're in a world where schools are pumping out black belts, let's say, because it makes them look better, they got more on the website, it sells better to pr mm -hmm. potential students and all this, doesn't the uh ideally the standard of excellence then would come down to competition mm -hmm. so like there might be a school over here and they got 15 black belts or whatever but we don't really see them out here at the tournaments very often or certainly not winning a whole lot or you know but at any given belt level but that doesn't really solve the problem. It's not the true visibility of it. You know, you need to get in the thing to, to well, see Well, but that. okay, but it, it, competition of what's kind. Then you go into, okay, what does that really, what does competition in jiu-jitsu, sports jiu-jitsu with all the rules and the more intricate rules, does it really prove efficiency in fighting these days? I'm not so sure. I mean, you see quite a lot of examples in in mixed martial arts or, 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 you know, local or at a high level, people who have world titles, Pan American title in jiu-jitsu, world title in jiu-jitsu, and you go and you, you, you go on an MMA fight, you get tapped by a blue belt. It happens quite often. So there's starting to happen some sort of disconnect. And the presence of the gi is one of the issues. The excess, excessive use of rules is another one where jiu-jitsu is getting very specific the sport of jiu-jitsu mm. and it's not necessarily something that translates directly to fighting anymore where if you go into the 90s again <clears throat> you pick the guys that are on top of the jiu-jitsu world sports jiu-jitsu world and you have a as we had like a 91 we had a, i think it was 91 we had luta livre versus jiu-jitsu who are we going to pick to represent the best fighters that we represent the jiu-jitsu guys there were the same guys that were placing in the top tournaments. So in other words, if I had to pick the best fighters in the world of jiu-jitsu, they would be the, every one of them would be the same guys that are placing first and second and third on the big tournaments. Is this true these days? Are we really thinking what are the best, we want to get the best jiu-jitsu guys in MMA right now? Would you really fish them out of the IBJJF worlds? Not necessarily. Right. There's a little, you know, maybe some of them are good, but you would be, you know, there would be an argument. Some people would say, well, you got to find the no-gi guys. Okay. Find the no-gi guys. Are those the best guys? Well, no, no. You got to find the no-gi guys who are wrestling based. Those are the best ones to translate. Okay. So and what's happening? already outside of the, let yeah. me grab the yeah. best jujitsu. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of scary. And, and, and uh, we need to be aware of that. So, you know, the wrestling 
wrestling is so important in fighting. What are we jiu-jitsu guys not incorporating it 100%? What are we doing? Isn't this supposed to be the sport where we, or the sport, martial art, combat system, whatever you want to call it, where we absorb everything that we can from the best sources? We're already determined that wrestling is a key component in mixed martial arts. What is mixed martial arts? The ultimate form, purest form we can find today of fighting that's legal. What do we want to be good at when we do a martial art? We want to be good at fighting. If you can, you know, see the world in the different lenses after you practice martial arts for years, that's awesome. Great for you. But that's not the purpose of what you're doing martial art. Otherwise, you could be meditating. You could be painting. You could be doing Japanese fancying. You could be doing anything. Your goal is to get good at an armed combat. So let's pursue that. Let's absorb wrestling. Let's learn what they're bringing to the table and let's use them a lot. You know, Expand on the, uh, the gi thing. You, you made a couple comments in the seminar here. Well, so there are a couple of schools of thoughts, right? So, so, so there's a big school of thought nowadays where it says don't train with a gi. You know, if you're getting, if you want to be good at fighting, fighting does not involve a gi quite obvious. So therefore, let's not train with a gi because that just is a waste of time, okay? Or no gi does not involve a gi, so let's not, uh, you know, train in that because it does not involve a gi. Well, that's, a, to my view, it's a quite a simplistic way of, of, of viewing things. It's like, I want to be good at a 100-yard meter, like, sprint in the Olympics. But why the hell am I skipping over hurdles as a warm-up why am i getting on the bar and trying to squat heavy why shouldn't i just be doing 100 meter sprints mm -hmm. just that don't do anything that's where this is going you know so there is a role for the gi when used properly as a preparation and a, and a handicap and a tool that makes you learn faster <clears throat> when i take the gi off it facilitates a lot the better athlete. So we've both, we've all here have grappled. When it goes no gi, there's some guys who are so athletic that they, you might be better than them, but they just slip out of stuff and it happens over and over again, okay? While you might see that, well, that's your problem. You need to be better at catching that guy. I see it, that's a missed opportunity for the guy to learn when he made a mistake. So training, who cares who wins? Like. A, the best training session you can get is the one you got your ass kicked the most because everybody has a certain number of, of mistakes that they have to make before they understand, let's not go that route, right? Let's keep my chin tucked in as a pass guard. With a gi on, the chances of you keeping your chin out, getting caught in a choke, and escaping that choke will diminish. So chances are you're going to tap quite a lot more from your stupid mistakes with the gi on. So that, I think, is a good thing for the gi, a good argument for the gi. What, uh, the best argument against the gi is when you use the gi, start using the gi as an offensive weapon. When you're twisting the gi and wrapping the gi around a person to create a better fulcrum or a leverage point, it is not going to translate in any way, shape, or form into a positive result when it comes to realistic fighting because we do not walk around wearing Japanese garb. So we need to understand the, the role of the gi, which has always been as a source of, first of all, uniform, safety, cl being clean, right? Hard to hide uh, uh, 
any kind of stain or blood yeah. or crap stain on a white gi. There's a reason why they are white, man. Mm -hmm. It's so that if you don't wash that stuff on a daily basis, it becomes yellow, it reeks, and you know that's not okay. Okay, so that's how I think, you know, somewhat it started. Of course, there's a, we can argue, there's a similarity to the kimono of the Japan, mm -hmm. some used there, but it, stuck, it stood the test of time. Let's use that as a handicap while training. Let's use that in the same way that somebody who's training for a distance rocking event will rock with a 40 pound weight on his back when the real rock happens with a 10 pound weight, okay? Let's use that as excessive added resistance, forcing a person to pay for their mistakes. I stick my neck out while if we were slippery 10 minutes into a sparring session where everything slips out, I could have gotten away because I am a good athlete. Right now, no, I'm gonna pay for that mistake. I'm gonna tap and pay the piper. The more I pay the piper that day, the better of a training session I had because I fixed behaviors that when it comes to performance later on, training is not about performance. Training is about getting better performance in competition or when it matters, right? Training, I got to screw up. The only difference between me with all these years of jiu-jitsu and all those guys there is that I, sub I got submitted more than everyone in that room all together. And I have no doubt about that number. Most likely by a large margin, you know? That's all it is. So right now I don't commit the same basic mistakes when I spar but it comes at a cost and you have to pay that cost as soon as possible. That's how I see the gi. Now, if you're doing the wraparound stuff, I always tell people, basket weaving, man, you know, you're in the wrong sport. Go go get something knit, knitting or, you know, go make, do some socks or whatever you want to do. But this is not the place to do this stuff, you know, like. Because fundamentally, as I'm taking two hands and running the, the, the gi lapel or whatever around something i'm probably being punched in the face not only that point. but in real life are you going to bring your own lapel to the mix because what right. are you going to use to wrap around and, and you're just creating what i like to call a phantom fulcrum you know you, you're sure you can immobilize somebody when you're you know you're wrapping them up it's just wrong man mm. i don't want to be in a, in a you know it's 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 i don't want to be in the male bondage business i'm in a fighting business <laughs> You know, I, I, I want to, you know, get people and submit them uh, like in a clean way. You know, I don't want to get into like, I'm going to tie this guy up until he has to cry uncle. Like, not my thing. What's it sounds own? like bondage, though. <laughs> exactly right. Tie him so. up till he cries uncle. I was going to say, too, this is one thing that Greg has talked about a couple of times, too, about the idea of training, like this whole talk about train with the gi, train without the gi, what are your goals are. And one thing that he said that... um I think it was Comprito used to tell him <clears throat> that why he liked training the gi a lot was because of the fact that he'd have so many more partners that he could actually train with and help get better. Because if he just goes no gi, he's usually only got a few other fighters that he's working with, has this just a certain number of looks. But by throwing the gi on, people that wouldn't have that same level of athleticism now can be closer on that same playing field, mm -hmm. gives him an opportunity to have more looks to go with, then is able to make more of those mistakes in order in ordering for him to get you know, further along his game plan. That's so. great. You know, again, I, I can only, all I'm saying here is just my vision of things, you know, based on a very opinionated uh, experience throughout mm -hmm. all the years. I don't have all the answers. I don't claim to have any answers. I'm not saying I'm right even, but I like that point of view, you know, and, and it boils down again, even if you train with a gi, have some no gi days at your gym, then you can see how that translates because then we can keep that in check. We got to have some sort of reality-based uh, a test 
you know, I always tell my students, okay, we got to have some days at the gym where you're trying to slap each other. You're, oh my God, when was the last time you had that in a regular gym? You got to have them, man. I mean, we, we are teaching people, we're teaching number one, first and foremost, the ability to defend yourself, right? You, you can't be the first time you had something thrown at you is in a fight. Mm -hmm. I failed you as a teacher. We part, have this, oh, sorry. I was going to say, part of my blue belt test, mm -hmm. we have like some scenarios, front headlock scapes, you know? How many people do head, headlock? It's part of our basic curriculum. I got a 60 class basic curriculum that I, we use at the gym. Self-defense has four or five classes in there. Self-defense, how to defend against the headlock, bully headlock, whatnot, oh, uh, double, you know, like how many, How often you say, oh, double grab from behind. We got to teach those things, man. Because mm -hmm. females might have to rely on that. You cannot give a, a brown belt to somebody who cannot defend a headlock. No. You know, it's nuts. So. Well, I, I jokingly, I got a student here who he was in the seminar today and he's a four stripe blue belt and had come over from another school. And we, we do MMA on Tuesday nights where we're just, it's more grappling focused, but we are talking about strikes are involved. We have gloves on. Your approach has to be different. It's not just look for a leg lock or something. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty cool because after a few of those classes, he came up to me. He was like, man, I thought I was good at jujitsu. I feel like such a white belt. I've never even trained like this before. I was like. That's awesome. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. That's awesome, man. You're doing God's work there. That's the right way to do it. Yeah. You know? Trying to find that balance with it. And then I think, you know, I'm very fortunate to have guys like you and Greg to, you know, put that forthright. So I have yeah. that mindset to go with it. And, and you don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise on your values. Look at, the, again, you know, and Minnesota Martial Arts Academy did not compromise and so it's the most successful gym in minnesota without the need to compromise did not have to compromise they mm -hmm. did it the right way mm -hmm. gotta tip your head off to that and and you know but there's not every school is like that a lot of school thinks we got to dial it down we got to do this got to do that you know you can keep everybody safe while still not sacrificing the nature of what you're teaching and what you're offering you know so Absolutely. well and technically you're keeping them safer by including that stuff exactly yeah, yeah. Yes. You're, 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 i'm keeping you safe in this building but i'm selling you short elsewhere yeah. if you've never had to defend a punch or where right. it really I always matters tell fighters the last thing you want to have see something for the you never want to see something for the first time when the lights are on and you're in a fight like you mm -hmm. want to be able to have seen everything you can in the gym first to at least just have some sense of familiarity with how you're going to react to it yes jiu-jitsu in a fundamental sense has to work if it doesn't work if it only works on oh yeah it works in competition under this particular set of rules under this time limit with this circumstances with people on your same sex with the same weight with the same uniform there's way too much stuff man yeah. there's way too much there's way you're controlling way too many variables this is not how life works how life works is that I have all this the, this experience in jujitsu. I've trained all my life, you know, fought professionally. I walk out of here if I'm not paying enough attention. A guy who ha doesn't have a single day in his life is gonna hit me from behind. I'm gonna go knocked unconscious. He's gonna take my wallet. That's reality, you know. So the more variables you put in that mix, there, it's not good, in my opinion. You know, yeah. again, we're diluting things that should not be diluted reality doesn't change if anything reality has only gotten more violent no so we we, we have to keep that in mind
Well, that was kind of along the lines of that question I asked during the seminar when you're asking during the Q&A portion. Um, that I was saying, like, what's your approach to gi, no gi, this and that. And part of the reason why I brought that up was because I try to tell these people a lot because it's something Coach Greg has talked a lot with us about is, like, find techniques that work in self-defense, that work in an MMA scenario, that work in a gi scenario, that work in a no gi scenario. And also, don't be afraid to look at arts that have other cultures from other cultures that have found the same types of movements. If you find that an underhook is found in sambo, it's found in wrestling, it's found in judo, it's found here, clearly an underhook is a good technique that you should probably mm -hmm. focus on inquiring into your game. Mm -hmm. But if you have to go and focus on things that are only applicable, like you said, in those specific rule sets, you're, you're going to end up focusing on things that aren't might not have the, the answer for what you're looking for at when the time you need it. But if you're focusing on things that can be applied whether you have a gi or not, whether it's self-defense or not, then maybe you're going to be more prepared when you need to use that that action or whatever it is. Yes, you know, and, and uh, you know, the I call it the curly fries problem. You know, if I, when picking technique, you know, what, what is your favorite technique? And, and if I ask you what's your favorite food and it's curly fries, it's a pretty specific type of food. You, you, you're going to have to go to Arby's to get curly fries. Mm -hmm. And if Arby's is closed, you're shit out of luck for, for lack of a better term. Now, if my favorite food is a burger, I can fight a burger anywhere, man. I'm going to eat my favorite food today, you know, while you're sitting there waiting for Arby's to open. So if your favorite technique is the omoplata from Tornado Guard rolling into whatever it is, you got a problem, okay? Your technique should be, what's your favorite technique? Guillotine, arm triangle, you know, like the simplest thing you can find Occam's razor on everything find the simplest least number of steps technique you can possibly proficient with and pick that then you want to put some you know some sprinkles in there put it on the setups but don't put it on the technique don't make this thing like have 50 steps and it has to start with this specific position and it only works with this position when he is there it's like too many variables again. We're adding variables. Just make it simple. What was that one thing you used to say? It was something along the lines of like every move that has more than three steps becomes exponentially more harder to do. So the success rate of a, te a technique is, you know, it's directly cor correlated to the number of steps. So the more steps you have in a technique, the more likely it's not going to work. Okay. The other thing I always say is, uh, you remember Kelby? Yeah. <clears throat> so shout out to Kelby if you ever listen to this. I had a guy called Kelby in our gym. And Kelby wasn't very good at jiu-jitsu. was a purple belt, made it to purple belt. Love the guy, by the way. But he made it to purple belt, not very good at jiu-jitsu, okay? But, oh, my God, man, Kelby was strong. And when I say strong, I've grappled with thousands and thousands of people. This guy's top three. He, he was so strong, if he held you on a on a grip just grabbing your wrist you could not take it out even if i stapled that arm to the to the floor and try to yank it up i felt like a 12 year old going against a guy not very good at jujitsu i use the kelby rule to divide my techniques if it works on kelby i want to learn it i want to improve it if it doesn't work on kelby i don't even want to i don't care about it man because this cannot be a situation again too many variables I want technique that will work against a guy who is not so good at jujitsu, but strong and very determined. Sore loser does not want to tap out. Okay. Really doesn't want to tap. You know the guy. Really doesn't want to tap out. 
So I use the Kelby rule, man. This stuff starts getting one, two, three, four steps. Instagrammable. Ooh, it's not my thing. I want the one, two, done. One, two, three, done. You know, four, five, I'm not that good. You know, I, I if there's any like complexity to it, I'll put it in the setup. I'll put it in the misdirection, but I don't want it to be in the technique. The technique has to be quick, get to the point, get out of there because again, I'm not that good. You know, that's how I see it. It's a little bit like there's a couple of black belts at M theory I have in mind where I know exactly what they're going to do because I watched him do it to the previous five rolls mm -hmm. and I've rolled with him weekly for years. It's not going to be anything fancy. It's mm -hmm. going to be quote unquote old school jujitsu and none of us are going to fucking stop it. Yeah. You know, it's I'm, I'm not going to maintain posture in Rocco's close guard and he's going to get an arm across and work to the back every single time. And that's great jujitsu, and, and like, right? that's and, and and that's the thing. I, th I think a lot of people might hear that and be like, "Well, he needs to expand and he needs to learn more and go the other side and this and that." Uh, does he? Yeah, that's a guy that can handle with a very simple set of tools. It's working. You know, yeah. Oh well, he doesn't. You know, he he doesn't do the inverted tornado, twister, oh. swipper. You know, and it's part of the commercialization too, man. Mm -hmm. We we're having now the commercialization is bringing in everybody needs to have the coolest naming technique, and, and the newest thing, you know, and the newest innovation because then you can sell your product, you can sell your DVD, or you know, nowadays no longer DVD, but you can sell your series online or your seminar series or whatever it is. Um, we got to be aware of that. That has to. It is another effect on natural evolution of things. You put money in the mix, messes everybody up, right? So you're, you're messing, you're selecting things that, oh yeah, do I want to teach the basic fundamental stuff or do I want to teach the the crocodile lock? Say right now, man, if I tell you, okay, two options here, crocodile lock seminar or a seminar on doing an arm bar for the mount. You're going to say, croc heck, I might say that. I want to learn the crocodile <laughs> lock. Sounds cool as hell. You know, so you got a problem there. You know, that is... Is that a real thing? I, I have no idea. Okay. Most likely. If it is not, please, I'm once, trading marketing right now. Yeah, once we publish this, <laughs> somebody will come up with something. Oh, I'm sure it probably... Poor Crocodile Lock is... Someone's you know, made probably, it somewhere. Somebody exists. It's probably in bad mouth and some technique. But yeah. whatever it is, name your, you know, your flavor of the day. And, and that's a problem commercially. We're selecting things commercially now because they sound cooler. They're a newer view Okay, what impact is that going to have on the quality of the techniques that are coming down the pipeline? Because if you if you look at it, and it's very easy to observe, some of these people that are doing series, they go, well, let's do this and this type of guard or this type. And then you watch, there's a disparity between what they're showing and demonstrating on the video and what they're doing when push comes to shove and they're going against high-level opposition. Well, I would much rather learn the basic stuff. Why this basic thing that you're doing? You know, you're teaching all the, the crocodile lock, but you're finishing your stuff with arm bar from the mount. You know, look at Roger Gracie. It's like cross choke from the mount. I want to learn that, man. I want to learn the guy that, that does the simplest thing. It's like, dude, it's a first day technique. Cross choke from the mount. mount. First day, you probably do jujitsu. Chances yeah. are, you, in some gyms, you're going to learn that. This guy's using a world-class level on world-class opponents over and over again. Okay, there, there's something about that guy's cross choke right. that's differentiated. 
It's, but it's harder, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, I'm getting better at this. <laughs> <laughs> Can barely tell. Roger. Uh, Roger. I've I've been around for two seminars a years, and you've made a point about. It, I think it's been asked each time. Um, you've made a point about what to do for training jujitsu outside of jujitsu, and mm-hmm. you you cite three things usually. Can you go into that for me? Oh well, I would say more. You know, I'm, sure. I'm talking go about ahead. the hobbyist, right? So yep. so. He, he, the question was what you would physically do, like what would you train physically that, that would improve. So I, I said, if you're a hobbyist, you would start with general GPP, general physical preparedness. So a level of fitness that will probably involve um, uh, some basic form of lifting. So lift weights, calisthenics and lifting weights. So you got to be able to do pushups, got to be able to do pull-ups. You got to get under the bar and get a squat. You're not going to squat a whole lot of weight, but you know, I'm expecting if you're an adult male to squat two plates at least you know i got to do that regardless of your size go do that once that's done then you you got to bring something else to the table because jiu-jitsu has very specific demands uh, what i recommend or what i did recommend was uh first of all neck strength because neck alignment is huge in jiu-jitsu so you can lose a lot of positions if you're doing the technique right but your neck is out of whack if you guys, both guys do jiu-jitsu extensively, how many times you lost a guard, you, you passed guard, you got a side control, he had that hand on your neck, your neck was twisted sideways and you had to back away to try to fix that and then he shot through and he you're back into that little guy's guard. Every day it happens. So neck alignment is important to maintain. Train your neck, strengthen your neck in a safe, sound way. Wrist, uh, grip strength, that's huge. Doesn't matter how powerful you are, you can be a power lifter. If you cannot transfer the power that you have into somebody, it's not going to be applicable to jiu-jitsu because we're not doing it on bars and we're not doing it on flat surfaces. So you need to be able to transfer that power. The comparison I always make, you can have a Ferrari, huge horsepower. If you're running slicks on snow, you have no traction. You cannot transfer that power to the ground. It's worthless. You're better off with your VW Beetle there with you know chains. Uh, when it comes to grip work, First thing, I love it, by the way. I love grip work. You can tell by my fingers. Stop using hand wraps ever at the gym. Don't, you know, I'm sure. You're talking about strapping up on the bar. Yeah, yep. man. You know, sorry, sorry, hand wraps. Straps, lifting mm-hmm. straps. Mm-hmm. Don't strap on the bar. You know, like, I don't know. I'm not strong enough to the point where I needed lifting straps. I'm sure if you dad lift up or upward of six, you probably need them. You know, I don't, and most people probably don't. So don't do that. And for never clean with those things on. Come on, just you know, hang clean without them. But anyways, start there. Build a, a a grip training, you know, routine, and do that. And last but not least, core strength, which is very hard to acquire, especially the type of core strength that jiu-jitsu needs, because when you, the comparison I made there was you can bench press the world, can be a you know four plate bench and somebody's on top of your butterfly guard pressing you down the limiting factor is not how hard you can press up because your back while you're sitting up is not against a bench what is holding your back is your core so if your core can only take 100 pounds of pressure your bench can be 400 four or five there it doesn't matter you're gonna go back because of the failure of that core so you gotta have a strong core if you especially if you're guard player so if you're a guard player, strong core. And then you go from there. You know, if you're a combat athlete, completely different story. You need a lot more. 
you know, but I well, the thing about those three is they're all fundamentally the same thing. This mm-hmm. is this is a structural weak point in the human body, the hands, the neck, and the core. Like for most people, especially modern day humans. Yes. Soft hands never use their mm-hmm. head against any kind of resistance. Mm-hmm. Don't even sit up straight, let alone mm-hmm. use their core. So pretty much anybody needs all three of those, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you're a combat athlete, then you gotta go I always say five things then. Um, lift heavy, heavy, not heavy in quotes, lift heavy, lift explosively. So get some explosive lift in there, jump, sprint and throw shit. Like those five things Add that cardio and stretching. And all of a sudden you're juggling three balls and your physicality, you get stronger. The flexibility is going to go down. That ball drops. You work on your flexibility, your strength will decrease. You work on your cardio, you get weaker. You also get stiffer. You know, it's like, but you got to figure out which one of those valances works best in your jujitsu game. Some guys will be more, oh, I need that power to crush, you know, power passers, guard guys are going to say, no, I need that flexibility, whatever it is that suits your fancy, you know. And at the first seminar you did at the original Burnsville Academy, um, you said one thing as I was just taking pictures just like mm-hmm. I was today. But you said one thing and I was like, hell yeah, that makes me feel good. I'll tell you what it is in a second. Mm-hmm. But then shortly thereafter, you said another thing that was like the biggest kick in the nuts. So the first one is you're talking about um, like an Americana, like setting up Americana. A lot of people will coach the thumbless mm, grip okay, because yeah. of because of the leverage it sort of feels stronger. And you were like, or you can get your fucking hands strong mm-hmm. and take what's technically a better fucking grip yep. and not have to worry about it and just get your hands stronger. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, I I train grip and strongman and stuff for years mm-hmm. and years and I kind of rely on big strong hands. Uh but then moments later somebody asked, well what else should we work on to to get better at jujitsu? Same kind of questioning has happened today. And you said, uh, if there's one thing you should be able to do, it's it's pull your toe up to your chest. Yes. Pull your foot up to your chest and up to your face. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see how far I'm going here. That's about it. <laughs> it's so, a weird. So I went from like, yeah, that's yeah. right. Get your hands strong. And then I was like, oh, stretch. Okay. Dude, hand strength is huge. You know, yeah. It's funny that you remember that. And I, that's a big thing with me, too. It was like, I always say that little detail. It drives me nuts. Because you're doing, okay, there's an evolutionary reason we have opposition right we can we we have a thumb (laughs) you know it's amazing thing like it took us to where the apes were to Mm -hmm, where we are mm -hmm. and you're gonna throw that away because you can't bother to get a you know some block weights or grippers or i mean come on man get a gripping machine or whatever you know get a grip yeah get a grip (laughs) and you know like completely side note uh male grip strength measured has in general has been going downgrading and female has been going up hmm. and and uh wonder why i'll leave it out there general drop in testosterone across the generations yeah. and women work now and men work less yeah i'll go ahead and throw it out there <laughs> it not, might not be far off yeah right? that's, that's a piece of it um usually the last thing i toss out there and however you want to approach it is fine but i'll ask people for advice for the given belt levels mm-hmm so if I'm a white belt, what's your advice? And then blue belt. Oh, cool. Okay. White belt. <clears throat> Survive, you know, and um, thrive in the understanding that the most important thing right now at your level is to understand 
that there's no instant gratification in the world. And if you can only learn this gift, you can stop your jiu-jitsu career right now and it'll already be worth it. Um, most people walk in, into a gym or walk into any situation these days and they expect to be good at it or they expect to have fun in it or they expect whatever the hell they expect. They expect something. And, and you know, in the end, nobody cares. And there's nothing that you should expect. You should earn every bit of it. So you walk in there, you need to understand that your goal as a white belt is to learn as much as possible, be a sponge, and get to that. Jiu-Jitsu is a wonderful tool for you to, to, to get lessons that will last you way beyond your the mats, way beyond in, in other areas of your life. And lesson number one is that, you know, some days you're the nail man it's good to be the hammer but you got to be the nail before you're the hammer and that's just the way it goes and nothing is going to happen there that's going to hurt you but it will hurt your ego brother and if you have one you you're going to most likely feel like quitting my advice to you is don't quit see it through understand that the ego destruction is part of the process and it's a drug-free way of destroying the ego, ego which is a rare thing. Uh, you can go in there and get crushed and l come out with a smile on your face. And the day that happens, you're ready to, you know, get to the next level. So it'll take a while, though. You're going to get, if you're one of mine, you're going to get pissed for the first few weeks. And, and that's good. <laughs> I like that, too. You know, I don't like, you know, show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. <laughs> you know you got it got it has to upset you to some level yeah and i love yeah. that when when i see you know we had a lady that started training uh first day and she started an arm bar and then she goes to spar and she ally uh, it's her name and and she mounts this guy you know it's a blue belt and the guy just sticks his arm out there, you know, gives him that cue. And she goes for that arm bar and misses it completely. It just <laughs> looks like crap. And she goes like this. She looks at it and she goes, fuck, super loud. And I go, wow, that has potential. <laughs> I can work with that. We will make you good. Stick with it. Versus the guys, they're like, oh, I understand. I just like, No, it has to hurt. It has to. Because, you know, it's good to accept that that, that is a necessary th trip, right? That ego destruction. But it doesn't have to be, you know, it shouldn't be a super pleasant experience. You know? mm. Okay, so that would be my, if, sorry for taking too long, but that would be no, white no, belts. No. Don't quit. Suck it up. Understand that, you know, losing is part of the process. Blue belt. Okay. Uh, you know, that's a tough one. Okay, the blue belt. Be very careful with what you mimic because you are there long enough where you're going to try to find a source of knowledge, be it on YouTube, Instagram, or inside the gym. And who you pick and what you pick, what habits you pick are going to be extremely important for you and your journey. So look around you and see the people that are good quality people at your gym. And I'm not just talking technically. You know, don't learn from that guy that is a gifted guy that he is a super athlete and he shows up and he works at 50% intensity because he's that good. 
you happen to oh i want to be like that guy you're and you're going to end up in a world of pain look at a good examples look at a guy who is necessarily not the best one but he shows up on time every time he does the work and he keeps coming back look at the guy that technique wise that fits your profile like somebody that has something that that you look at okay you're not going to go in there sorry about that it's all good you're not going to go in there and mimic the person that has <clears throat> absolutely nothing to do with your game like you walk in there you're strong guy heavier you're not going to mimic the 130 pound kid who's putting his ankles behind his neck probably going to be a short mimicry session for you so let's try to find affinity and find good examples and go from there but don't turn into a specialist right now mimicry is good but expanding your knowledge base is better this is where you're most likely to think you know something about jiu-jitsu and boy you're wrong like i don't know anything about jiu-jitsu so purple purple i think is where you're gonna get personalized and i'm trying not to give the the you know the usual like sound bites that everybody will probably there are some universalities there, yeah exactly i'm trying to process. avoid those i'm trying to do the you know the stuff that's probably not thought of a whole lot personal personally i think purple is where you're going to take the personal touch to your game so at that point purple belt you're going to start looking around and seeing what will fit your game it's like i said when you go into jujitsu you start learning jujitsu you're buying a suit off the shelves off the rack you're going to get that suit at purple belt you're going to start custom tailor that thing to fit you nicely so you feel good and it operates well so you get whatever game that that you want or the game that suits you better and you develop and work on it. I always have the this, at this point is where I will most likely tell my students to give me some sort of information so that we can work on. And most are unable to do that at Purple Belt. So I'll say something like, okay, name me your three main guard passes to the right side and to the left side. And they'll be like, I don't know. So if you don't know at that point you're failing seriously failing data gathering you need to know those things so you got to have a game plan you got to understand data what's working for you then once you pick the top three have the two you know well, when i do this pass he does this and therefore i do that like a flow chart basic flow chart of your game if you can develop that as a purple belt it will work wonders and it has to be around who you are physically who you are intellectually some people like complicated things others like simply so personalize it that's the time brown belt just grind man you know stop looking again this is where your ego is going to get again in the mix uh most likely because you're almost there that's the almost there you know right i'm almost so close it doesn't matter nobody cares i'm here to tell you that in the end i can't even recall what being a brown belt feels like or what it was i'm sure it doesn't matter never aspire to be something or someone in jiu-jitsu i think it's a terrible idea i tell my students don't try to be like me try to beat me you know and i got that asked once by some guys that were in the east coast they were traditional martial artists and said well who do you aspire to be because we aspire to be like mr whoever i go man i never aspire to be anybody i just aspired to crush everyone that was to this side of me when we bowed out so you just keep 
Next target, next target, next target. Again, respectfully, but understanding this is the nature of the game. I'm the guy with the biggest target in my back at my gym. I don't take it personally. I love every one of my students. I welcome it because that's part of me getting better as a martial artist is dealing with that. So keep It also grinding. doesn't put a cap on it. Yeah. If we all aspire to, to be like that guy, we're acknowledging he's at the top of the mountain and that's as high as it goes. That's as good as it gets. Exactly. Just crush that guy. I don't care who it is, man. It doesn't have to be a realistic thing, yeah, right? right? But don't start with you're a white belt. I want to crush the teacher, all right? Let's let's work through some steps in here. Get the next guy in line. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a white belt. I'm going to get right. uh, my goal is to right now is to survive. Have goals every week. I want to survive that guy six minutes with that guy without him tapping. Next, I want to pass that purple belt's guard, whatever it is, until, you know, one day there's – I want to be the last guy standing. And then I'm going to go elsewhere to try to find somebody else. That should be it. Um, black belt. Man, if you don't know it by then, I, I don't think it can help you. <laughs> <laughs> Far and away the best answer. That one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I literally, you know, give back, you know, sure, but yeah. most guys will naturally give back. Most people, again, if the process has not, if somebody does it the process right, like you know Greg is doing to you, and 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 l bigger lessons will be in there, you know, and uh, you will be able to at that point when he gets to that, you already know, you understand that's the ego, you understand the fallacies of of following bad examples, you understand you know the personalization of the train, you understand most of it, and then you get to that point where you finally understand the most important thing of all which is that you don't know anything about jiu-jitsu <laughs> you know it's just like you just expanded your limits of your ignorance and you continue to do so forever in your life there are always somebody that does something better than you there's always something else to learn there's always a new thing that comes and thank god for that because otherwise we'd be bored life would be you know, boring good closing thoughts i think Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Gus. Thank as you, well. Mario. Sorry for talking so much. No, not That's at all. Fine. I rarely talk. When I do, I'm pretty opinionated and most likely not politically correct. That's, that's the way I like it. That's <laughs> yeah. good. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks a lot for listening to another episode of the Pohada Podcast, everyone. Please support the show by rating it wherever you listen to it, preferably five stars, and check out the YouTube channel. Give a subscribe if that's what you're into. And if you find yourself with a wild hair and want to support the show directly, I've linked the Patreon account in the episode description box. And good luck resisting the urge to adopt one of those dogs. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>